Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Yeah, welcome to Podcast 404. Kurt Mortensen here. As we learn the skills that will increase your success, help you achieve your goals, get better relationships, make more money, all of the above. Like I mentioned every time, skills we should have learned in school. Today we're going to take a deep dive into being more persuasive with PowerPoint. Is it possible? You hate PowerPoint sitting there in a dark room with their back to you. Reading it to you like you're five years old, but then as a presenter, you love PowerPoint because it's all right there. You won't forget anything. You won't look dumb, but you do look dumb because you're not persuasive and nobody likes it. So we need to talk about that balance. Hope everything's going well. You're achieving your goals. You're setting your goals. You have a target to shoot for because that's one of the pieces of success and self-persuasion. Those that have goals accomplish three times more. They did a study at a production plant. Two different sets of workers, two different shifts. The first shift's like, oh, try your best. Give us your best. Do your best. Then the third group is they had actual goals. The one with the goals accomplished three times more. So we know it works, so make sure you do it as we get rolling and jump into the show. Let's start off with the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. Happened this month. Someone taking a cruise. As we know, there's this little thing. I don't know if you've heard of it called COVID. They got this decent priced cruise. And the blunder here is not managing or setting expectations. People try to hide the truth. The hidden fees when you buy, say, an electronic device. And we know there's hidden fees on cruises if you've taken one before. But this was out the door where they were just nickel and diming them here. In fact, they didn't even know sometimes what they were being charged. You got the bill at the end of the cruise. We could go and deal with that, but they didn't tell you about the $100 fee every time you got to come on board to get tested for COVID. But even worse, the one that lit their fire, and they'll never cruise this cruise light again, is you couldn't get off the boat unless you took one of their official shore excursions. Now, if you've been on a cruise, you know that their shore excursions are probably three times more. Don't always go where you want to go, but they wouldn't let you off the boat Unless they took their shore excursion. Now, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there is a COVID thing. I think they were jabbing them. So there was an expectation thing. And that's something you kind of want to let people know ahead of time. Because if you do want to take a cruise, you want to be able to sign up for it. So the blunder is it's not managing expectations. Nickel and diming people to death. Basically feeling sabotaged on a cruise. Because you want to go on excursions. But they never let you know, oh, you can't leave without going on one of our excursions. So that's the blunder. Made them very upset. They posted all over social media about their hate. They weren't the only ones. And they will never cruise with them again. Before we get to becoming more persuasive with your presentations, let's go to the geeky scholarly article. This comes from Psych Central. And it's how to deal with rude comments. No, there's no rude people out there. Well, as you know, people are more rude 
With cancel culture, it's kind of a license to be mean, to offend, and can we say bully sometimes? We see it out there, especially on social media where they can't see your face, kind of hidden behind a computer. A little easier to bully and be mean, but how do you respond? Let's say you're face-to-face to someone that's being rude. How do you protect yourself? How do you articulate? And of course, this will be posted at MaximizeYourInfluence.com along with the links to take your free Persuasion IQ assessment and get the free book, Maximum Influence, and everything else you want to know about product services and coaching right there. There's our plug. That is where you go. Why are people mean? Why are people rude? It really depends on the person. Are they teasing you? And think about growing up, why did people tease? Well, they're looking for a response. And so people push your buttons. They want to see you get upset. It gives them power. It gives them control. They want a response. Some are bullies. That's just who they are, low self-esteem. And that's a whole other podcast. You can look up the archives that maximize your influence, how to deal with bullies and intimidators. And some are just missing filters. They just don't know that they don't know. And so that's a key challenge. So this comes from Psych Central. A lot of different people doing research on this one. So the first one is, and we won't go through all these, is pause to regroup. Just kind of, whoa, 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 why they say this? And let me add my personal viewpoint. People treat you how they feel on the inside. So if you know they have a low self-esteem or not having a good day or they're just always negative or just a, a bad person in general, gives you a little maybe sympathy, empathy form to take a few seconds or longer to take a breath Feel your feelings, think about a response, especially response, because when we react, how dare they? We want to react, we want to get back, we want to jab back, we want to be mean back, we want to be rude back, and that's not always the best thing because it's just going to accelerate. So it's just a few seconds to think about your response, what you should say, who's watching, because <laughs> a lot of times if you go off, you lose a lot of credibility yourself. Reminds me of a professor, I'm not going to name names, was written some rude comments from a student going back and forth, and the professor kind of shot back, and the student says, geez, don't have a cow. And the professor says, I don't have cows. I'm a full professor. I'll always be smarter than you. And you really can't recover from something like that. The whole class is always going to remember that experience. So be very careful, a little pause, regroup, think it through. Should you even respond? Those are things to think about. Number two is just kind of detach yourself. You know, are they intentionally being antagonistic? Are they being disrespectful on purpose? Don't take the bait. Remember, they're teasing. They want a response. Gives them power. They're pushing your buttons. Just like the kids at the playground, they're pushing your buttons. They want a response. And it's no fun if you don't give them the response that they want. And when you're able to restrain like that, you learn to grow. You learn to handle these mean people. And also the people around you more will respect you more because you're showing restraint. And people respect that person more than the person that's being mean. Most people, anyway. They want the conflict. Don't give it to them. Now, the third one they talk about is advocate yourself, which they explain is a powerful way for you to feel validated and give the relationship a chance to heal. I mean, assuming you want to preserve the relationship. So using I statements, you know, I feel invalidated when you call me lazy because I work so hard and it makes me feel underappreciated. You're staying in control. You're saying, I feel this way instead of you, you, you. So we've noticed that with persuasion research. That's true. When you say you, 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 and they feel attacked, they're going to attack back. Number five, I kind of added this. Don't waste your breath. Don't fall into their trap. Because you really can't reason with individuals 
who are not open for discussion. They're not willing to take accountability. It's not their fault. It's a blame game. We've talked about imposter syndrome on the show. If they're not going to be receptive to feedback or want to engage in a discussion, it's not worth it. It's not worth your breath. You can smile and say, okay, we can agree to disagree. Was it uh, Ben Franklin said, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still? I mean, you can try to win the argument, but I mean, think about it. Have you ever changed someone's mind in politics? I mean, really? Or in COVID? Or anything? They have their point of view. And think about it. Have you ever really changed someone with those deep-seated beliefs? It's one thing to persuade someone to donate to a charity or buy a product, but when you're talking about religion or COVID or politics, those are deep beliefs that probably doesn't matter what you say. Even if you made a great case, they're not going to change their mind. So is this worth your time? Number six is leverage your nonverbal cues because the best response might not be verbal. So you can shake your head or you can step away. You can turn away. You can leave the room. You can show hurt on your face. I'll add this one too. I think a lot of times if you can just widen your eyes like you're shocked, lower your chin and tilt your head a little bit like, what? (laughs) And use silence at this point and let them keep talking and talking might be a good way to handle it. And the one I like the best is what they call flip the script or just ask a question. Don't get sucked in. Ask a question with their question. Get them to rethink. Did they really mean it? Are they going to hold their ground? Are they being absurd? Are they being tasteless? And by doing that, you get them to talk and get them to explain and just kind of nod your head. And you might just get them to reconsider their intention or the harm they caused. That's a great one. Always as a persuader, answer a question with the question. Get a little more information. Huh, why do you say that? Tell me more. Well, what does the perfect solution look like to you? Have you tried that before? Where did you see that research? Questions, questions, questions are always powerful. So there you have it, our geeky, scarly article. Those rude, mean people. Which brings us to our main content today. How to break your PowerPoint addiction. The mistakes you're making that drain your audience. So again, you feel warm and comfortable. You've dimmed the lights. You're back to the audience, but... It's not persuasive, and if it's not persuasive, it's kind of a waste of time. So even though you feel more comfortable having every word on a slide that you're reading to them, it's not persuasive, so waste of time. And I know that's easier. You're there with your PowerPoint, with all your 112 bullets. But let me just say there's a big difference between presenting and persuading. Anybody can present, but is it persuasive? Someone comes up to you and say, great presentation. You're like, you're going to do it? And they say, no. Yeah, that's failure. That is, own up, that's the failure category. And your ability to present, give great persuasive, charismatic presentations, my research shows is one of the major things that causes upward mobility in promotions and makes you persuasive. So the first thing is PowerPoint's good because you're not holding notes. I never let anybody, when I teach persuasive presentations, to hold notes. I mean, you could have notes with the notes view. You could have notes on the tray of a whiteboard. You could have notes in the upper part of a flip chart, you know, where there's a quarter inch shadow and you can write that up there in pencil. You could have maybe notes sitting on a table, just don't hold them or stare at them the whole time. So that's a huge one for me. And that makes a huge difference with your connection to the audience. If there's a barrier there, it's hard to connect with the audience. Even Zig Ziglar, the great motivational speaker, would project his notes on the back wall. Okay, as long as you're not holding them, I'm okay with that. I mean, you get the presenter view in PowerPoint. You can try using acronyms. You can have your mom in the front row holding up notes. Whatever you need to do. A music stand would even be better than that. 
You could remember what to say next. Go take a drink and next to your drink or your notes. There are a lot of things you can do here so you don't get stuck on having notes in your hand. That's the first thing. The second thing is your preparation. If you wrote a white paper or a term paper in college, you'd probably edit it three or four times. Well, you should anyway. For some reason in presentations, people take 95% of their time on PowerPoint preparations and bullets and they might run through it once in their head, but then they give it, it's like, oh, it sounded better in my head. In persuasive presentations, I'm not talking about your weekly meetings, so persuasive presentations, here's the rule. 50% prep, 50% practice. In speaking, the practicing is your editing. So you don't want to go turn in a paper that hasn't been edited, just like you don't want to give a presentation that hasn't been practiced many, many times. And here's another thing. The more you prepare, the more the fear roads away number one. Number two, when you're prepared and know your presentation, what I've noticed, and I've watched thousands of speakers and evaluated them, is that when your bandwidth is on recall, trying to remember what to say next, you don't connect with the audience. You're not charismatic. You don't do a very good job. But when your bandwidth is on the audience, reading the audience, looking at the audience, connecting with the audience, because you don't have to think about what to say next, that's when the magic happens. That's when you move up a couple notches in the public speaking world. So let's talk about the major blunders and what to do about them. PowerPoint is getting more and more basic. Everybody knows that there's movement and, and colors and different things you can do. We don't care. We don't care. So I would even use movement if you don't have to. I would keep the colors basic, like a white background. What I've been noticing, been testing out lately, is a black background, because nothing's worse than having the light of the PowerPoint projector in your face. So that's a big challenge. I've noticed if you just use a black background with white text, it gives you more movement, and I've noticed that it's easier on the eyes. Another big blunder is the text is too small. We can't read it from the back. Too many bullets is another one. I would recommend maybe three bullets, with two or three words for each bullet at the most, at the most, because it should be enough to glance at it and know what to say next. Shouldn't be full sentence unless it's a quote. That's what I would think about with PowerPoint. And of course, I've already mentioned, you're back to the audience. You read it to them like they're four years old. The lights are dimmed, permission to sleep. They don't want to be there. They're like, what, to just send me the slides. I can read them myself. They don't need you to read it to them. But one of the big wonders is text on a slide is not a visual aid. Like, hmm, think about that one. Text on a slide is not a visual aid, meaning two or three bullets is not a visual aid. They stimulate different parts of the brain. They really do. A visual aid is a picture or something you're holding, something you're maybe passing around. That's a visual aid. So if you're going to use it, make sure there's some type of a graphic, a reason, a, a chart or a poll, or a study, any of those, that's more of a visual aid than text on a slide. Visual aids can be very persuasive. Studies do show a good visual aid. People do remember it more. But remember, text on a slide is not a visual aid. A couple things to think about to keep their attention a little bit more is the number of slides. Maybe one every two minutes, maybe even three. I mean, if you're cruising through, there's a slide every 30 seconds. That's way too much. It's way too much movement. It's hard to keep their attention. Bringing up the lighting, the temperature of the room. The most persuasive temperature is 68 degrees. Eliminating distractions. 
seating arrangement matters. And those are all things we'll cover another time. But probably the best tip I can give you here is if you're not using the PowerPoint, turn it off. And there are a number of easy ways to do that. You can use the B key on PowerPoint, B for boy. That'll blank out the whole projector. It's just gone. And then all the eyes will come back to you. There's usually a blank slide on a clicker. That's something to think about too. Or probably the easiest thing is insert a black slide. If you know that moment you're telling the story, they don't need the PowerPoint, put in a black slide. You watch all the eyes come back to you, all the attention back to you. And that's pretty much what you want as a persuader, all the attention to come back to you. That's a very important piece. So simple things that you can do. Again, I'm not talking about your weekly team meetings, but man, if that's a presentation where your job's on the line, you want to close the big deal, it's pretty important that you do these things that we've talked about because the corporate world will teach you all the wrong ways, pretty much. And the trainings I've done in the corporate world, they're doing it the wrong way. They're doing it the easy way. It is easier. There's no doubt about that, but it's the wrong way. They're just presenting. They're just not persuasive. Anybody can inform, but is it influential? That's a key thing to think about. And this skill is becoming more and more important. In fact, 90% of managers feel that your presentation skills uh, are the most important thing. Now, 60% will say writing, and it does depend on your occupation. I'm with you on that one. But your ability to present, to be persuasive, is critical to your success. I mean, here's an interesting one. YouTube's the number two search engine. Because think about if you fit in this category. I don't want to read about it. Just show me how to do it. <laughs> You're searching for the video because you just don't want to read about it. And that's a big shift that's getting bigger and bigger as we were more visual. We want the video. And the good news to that, too, is people are expecting less because we're not seeing super polished videos on YouTube. So people expect less, but you still need to be persuasive and really work on these skills. I mean, getting your upward mobility when I was researching charismatic leaders for the laws of charisma, this was big on presentation skills and being a good storyteller and being more engaging and learning when to ask questions, how to respond to the questions, all very important things to maintain your control of the audience and be persuasive. Not just a presenter, persuasive. Anybody can communicate, but did you really convince? Did they buy into it? Are they going to do it? That's your key. Remember when they say, oh, well, that was nice. That's a waste of everybody's time. A waste of everybody's time. So again, I know it's a warm blanket for you. You want to do it. You want to have it. Your audience hates it. No, your audience hates it. They complain. They complain very fast about this. In fact, if you want to get good laugh, I'll put a link on this and maximize your influence, is the Death by PowerPoint. You can uh, search it on the internet. I think it's on YouTube. It's just a comedian making fun of all the negative, bad things people do with PowerPoint. And the laughter is there because it's true. We hate PowerPoint. So think about that next time you are going to do this. How often you do this, your room setup, and avoid the common PowerPoint mistakes, that addiction you have that's hurting your ability to influence. All right. Thanks for being here. Tell your family, friends, and anybody about the show. Hit like, subscribe. And we're also on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio under Maximize Your Influence. Visit our website at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Hey, and I've got something new for you. You can take your presentation IQ. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, click on this podcast, and take your presentation IQ. Because anybody can present, but are you persuasive? Brand new IQ. It'll help you out with the results. 
It'll help me with my research and I'll give you the bonus of the video training, the perfect persuasive presentation that'll give you all the nuts and bolts, what I call the layer of the nachos. A great persuasive presentation is layered. So before you even get your call to action, they say, how do I get started? Go there, got some sweet bonuses there for you, or go to presentationiq.com. So with that being said, take something you learned, use it, apply it. Get rid of your addiction to PowerPoint, become a better presenter, become more charismatic and more influential, and you'll be able to go out and persuade with power. 